Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, you have found another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for coming along on the journey of this show that was originally called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And I started the show so that I could have access to entrepreneurs who were shaking things up in their industry. And along the way, we've now had over 635 episodes, uh, well over about 600 interviews. And today's episode is one of those episodes I do in partnership with the Austin Technology Council. The Austin Technology Council, it is the place for people in tech in Austin to come together and network and learn, and it's really the hub of the Austin technology community, and I will tell you, I'm so proud to uh, partner with them for these episodes because what they do is they provide me with some of their members, and we get to talk about tech, about making waves, about shaking things up, and at the same time, we get to promote the great place that is Austin, Texas. So today's guest is Ari Stavchansky. And he is the founder and CEO of DataClay. Now, Ari is an entrepreneur and a developer who is making video production so easy that even your mom could do it. Now, a lot of you are thinking, nope, not my mom. But Ari assures me that what they do with their software makes it so easy that you can pull things together and take your, take your video and get it combined with your data to make it really sharp. And he works with companies who need to do this, including companies like Netflix and Apple and Amazon and NBC Universal. So I want to find out a little bit more about what they do at DataClay. So Ari, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you, Thomas. Good to be here. Good to be Happy here. Happy to be here. So yes. tell me about DataClay. I, I don't think I fully grasp what it is you do and who you do it for. Okay, so uh, yeah, we, uh, well, some of our clients, just to get out, that out of the way, our clients are, you know, large enterprises and also smaller enterprises. We run the gamut. The larger ones are, you know, what you listed, Netflix, Apple, Amazon, uh, NBC Universal, Viacom, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, the, the big names where they're using a lot of content to communicate to their customers. Um, and then we also have a lot of startups who recognize the need for video in whatever platform they're building. And, um, you know, we create the software that enables those companies to build platforms so that those who don't have skills in creating video can create it very easily. And, um, you know, I think really what we do is we provide uh, support to those customers along with a, a really well-rounded technique for building dynamic video content on the fly when it's needed. So we offer a, uh, you know, end user product where you install it on your machine and, and you can get going, but we also offer a server-based product which is really where the enterprises are, are those, that's what they are, they are adopting. Um, so for example, I'll give you an example of what they do. Uh, Netflix, for example, is using our software to automate the localization of text into different languages for a lot of their clips that they, that they put on their, um, their browser, you know, their app, when you go and look on 
uh, something for you know some genre and so they need maybe seven clips in different languages for the different markets that they produce right we also have uh, customers like um <clears throat> who are you know they're they're producing uh, like jd power where they are producing a lot of content for automotive uh, uh reviews and they have all this data about automotives automobiles and they need to basically create content video content uh, based on that data so they use our software to merge video templates that their creative team builds and uh, the data that they're sitting on they use our software to merge the two very very nicely so that a designer's vision for what the video should look like stays intact Uh, normally what happens is when you have a lot of data and you need to make a lot of video you're talking about a lot of labor, like hours upon hours. That's a big problem. That's the problem we sought out to solve when we first released the product. We, our software cuts down man hours significantly. So what might take a week can take an hour. What might take a month might take a day. So we have some of our customers creating 5,000 videos per week. We have some creating 100,000 videos per month. We have a lot of different, uh, uh, we have a spectrum of customers who have different needs. So somebody who's doing a live event, for example, South by Southwest is a customer. Every time you look at a South by Southwest lower third overlay at one of their, you know, uh, interviews on their panels, our software is used to create that lower third. They have a spreadsheet of names and their titles, and then they have a template for that lower third and they use our software to quickly generate those outputs really quickly and before our software was on the market something like that would would just be painful and i come from a creative background and i want to make people's creative lives better i don't want creative people to be monkeys that's not what creative people are supposed to do they're supposed to create or they're supposed to focus on the creativity not on the technicalities not on the menial work so essentially what we've done is we've created a robot, if you will, for post-production. We make it easy for people to generate a lot of content with, with the data so that they can get on with their lives and focus on the creative and not on the, the technicalities. So video, of course, for the last couple of years has been like the hottest thing for marketing and, and yes. for all this stuff. So when did you found the company and, and how did you identify that this was a niche, that video was hard and sure. I could make it easy? So before Data Clay, I was um, doing an agency. I was doing a lot of agency work. And what that agency work entailed was, you know, I come from a video production background. And what I started to recognize is that the customers would say, you know what, we need this in Spanish. You know what, we need this in German. You know what, we need this in French. We need this, we need, we need to swap this photo out for this market. We need to swap that photo out for the other market. We need to put in this audio clip for that market over there, Right. So when you watch an ad for a car commercial, the ad that you're seeing in Austin is not the same ad that you're seeing in New York City. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that there's a labor force involved in making all that content a reality, right? Well, those people, what I recognize is that there's got to be an easier way. There's got to be an easier way because it's such menial work. And so I, I created this product to solve my own problem of dealing with these quick changes that the clients were demanding at rapid, you know, turnaround times. 
And so the software, I also have a software development background. I, I, I got into web development, then I got into mobile app development. And I combined that with my video production background as well. And I created this, and that, that's effectively how Data Clay came about. We really wanted to help video producers, you know, circumvent all of that annoyance of, of menial data entry work and, you know, of the arduous task. We, we, we actually have a customer, uh, Fox is one of our customers, and one of their branches <clears throat> was telling me that, you know, they couldn't keep the motion graphics designers on staff because they got so tired of dealing with all the changes. They, you know, these people are trained as professional creative people. And then they're told to do these stupid, you know, oh, switch this text layer out, switch that photo out. So our software uh, effectively helped them reduce their their turnover on their employment, which is, you know, I think a, a fantastic thing to hear. But um, that's where it really came from. It, it's really about empowering the creatives to stay creative. And, um, you know, I believe personally, philosophically, I believe that, uh, you know, when the mind is freed up from menial tasks, it enables you to think of more creative, creative things, more human things. And that's really what I was after. I want to help people feel good about their livelihood. And, you know, as automation comes into the scene, in particular in video production, as automation comes into it, people are finally saying like, oh, I can just adopt Data Clay's tech and I can focus on the creative side and just run it through this pipe to get all the data in there and have my 100 videos done. And, and that's, really, uh, that's really where it came from. So is this your first entree into being an entrepreneur or have you been entrepreneurial no. your whole life? No, like I said before, I was doing agency work. And, and the agency work side, I, you know, don't get me wrong, I love my clients. I love being creative in that fashion, helping them realize their branding visions or whatever content that they needed. But as I grew as an adult, uh, you know, I started having kids and all these responsibilities. Um, I realized that agency work doesn't scale fast. It doesn't scale like having a product. And that's when I said to myself, I need to make a product. And I'm going to stand behind this product and I'm going to try and push it out there and see how it does. And that's, that's really, so, so I've had experience in dealing with people and dealing with needs of businesses, but I didn't see how without huge amounts of capital and huge amounts of labor to, to have, I didn't see it scaling so easily. And that's when I made the switch to say, okay, enough of the agency work, enough of doing the hourly billing, I'm going to make a product and, and, and essentially license it. And that was, uh, that was really the turning point for me. And we've been in business, Data Clay's been in business for six and a half years. We, we started on, in August of 2014, and uh, we are still going strong. We, we became profitable in about year two and a half, like around two and a half, and we've been profitable ever since. Uh, our model is a recurring revenue model, but we also don't require any commitments from our customers. They can cancel whenever they'd like. Um, and that allows us to continually build new features, make it more robust, offer great support, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and so far since then, since I left the agency style uh, service oriented work, it's been fantastic. It's really been something. So what have you loved throughout your career about having this entrepreneurial piece? What's been the part that gets you up every morning? I think the part that gets me up every morning is 
Uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I love having control over my schedule. I think control over my time, which I view as the most precious asset we have as humans, is very tantamount to my uh, existence. And I think that that is one of the reasons why I keep at it. Um, second to that is I really think that helping others, giving, giving things back to people, uh, giving, giving something to them, giving back to the community, that is really what motivates me to continue. And it took me a while to realize that that, that was what it was. Like that, that's not, that, that, for me, that was a non-obvious thing. For maybe a lot of other entrepreneurs, that was an obvious thing. For me, it wasn't so obvious that the second you believe that you, what you're doing is giving back to the community and that it's actually doing real uh, good results, that's when society will reward you back. If you're in it for the money, if you're in it for the fame, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you're in it to help literal people's livelihoods and their day-to-day, they will reward you. They will thank you. The other thing, I'll say one more thing, is I, I do it because we get emails in, in our ticketing system all the time about how we have saved people's uh, uh, you know, asses every now and then because our software is an automation software effectively, and it really saves them from meeting dead, you know, strict deadlines and things like that. So getting feedback like that from our customers is really, really gratifying, and I cannot get enough of it. So I want to keep doing that. So I love your story, and I love how you, you recognize that if I had a, recurable, a recurring product, I would be better off than just you know selling hours and, and being being in service. And I think that yeah. over the course of the last year, so many people in so many different businesses, large and small, have had to. And I hate to say the overword, you the overused word, they've had to pivot. So yeah. Yeah. when when somebody realizes either because of a global pandemic or because they realize I can make more money doing that, how, or they're working for a company and now they want to go start their own thing. What advice yeah. do you have for someone who wants to take an entrepreneurial pivot? My advice is, um, you know, keep your job, keep your job while you're building. Okay. Like I had to do that, right. I had an infant and then I had twins on the way. I had to have a job while I was doing it. Now I was doing, you know, you have to make sacrifices, right? That's just a, that's a non, like you cannot not sacrifice and make it as an entrepreneur. So I, I made some sacrifices in terms of performance and, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. My, my manager did not like the fact that I was, you know, working overtime at my own stuff. I would come in tired. I, you know, sometimes I wouldn't be at my best performance on that job, but I had a drive in me to continue to do that. So you have to realize that there is a transition between doing the nine to five and then doing the entrepreneurship. You, you, it's a slow transition, but be prepared to be let go if you find that your foot is, you know, almost all the way into your entrepreneurial en- endeavors. Like <laughs> people can recognize that and they'll recognize it fast. So um, I, have to, I have to jump in here because yeah. that's what happened to me. I was working yeah. for a great company. I was the director of marketing and we had an agreement. She knew I wanted to build a business as a speaker, a trainer and an executive coach. And she was cool with it and supported it. But after a couple of years, I could tell that it was like my foot was enough out the door. And then the recession hit in 2009 and some layoffs were made. And uh, I wasn't surprised that I was on the on the layoff list. And that's how I became a full time you know, sort of solopreneur. 
uh, you know, working, doing, doing speeches and, and advice for executives uh, because I was already out the door. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I would say you have to recognize when you are out that door or when you're, you know, the last toe is out that, you know, stable job. And, and then once you, once you recognize that you have to go all in and I can tell you that it was very painful for the first two years, very painful. My wife had to, um, I consider my wife, my, my primary investor, really, uh, like she, she, she said, Ari, you know, you're good at what you do. You believe in this thing. You know, people want it. Why don't I work for a little while? I'll give you 18 months and you see what happens. You know, you wrap this thing up, you license it, see what happens. I partnered. Here's the, here's the other thing is that I found a distributor of software in New York city who focuses on high end plugins for, um, for post-production professionals, for people in the media production industry. He recognized, this guy who owns this company, recognized the, immediately the value that I was bringing to the table. And he said, you know what? We're going to carry your product. We are going to push it to our list of 40,000 subscribers, and we're going to see how it does. So I wouldn't stop until you find, I wouldn't stop your nine to five until you find some kind of way to magnify your uh, way to, to distribute your, your product. That, I think, is, is, is critical. The other thing I'll say is that we build our software on top of Adobe's creative cloud. Now, Adobe is a leader, is the leader in media production, print, audio, you know, video, everything. Anything you basically see in this world has gone through some kind of Adobe app, whether or not you like it or not. And what we recognize is that if we're going to tap into that industry, we have to build on top of them and we have to give credit to Adobe. It's kind of like building on the shoulders of giants in a sense. You have to find that giant. Find that giant that you can help build further, and they will help you down the line. So, Ari, I have more questions for you. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. Absolutely. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you sound amazing Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people who are making waves in their industry like Ari Stavchansky. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Ari, today's episode is co-sponsored with the Austin Technology Council. So first yes. of all, why Austin, Texas? Why Austin, Texas? I was born here. Ah. Yes, I, I, I am one of the rare Austin natives. Um, I've, I got a, here. I've got a unicorn on the podcast. Yeah. Yes, I'm right here. Uh, I will say uh, my parents came here in the late 70s. Um, my father is a professor, was a professor at the University of Texas uh, I've been here since before Mopac was even a thing. And, and for those Lamar. for those listening from around the country, Mopac is one of the two freeways that run up and down yes. alongside of our city. Yeah, it was once a small city, and I, I was here around uh, around that time as a as a little toddler and kid. And um, you know, I left for a little while to study at. Uh, I went to Carnegie Mellon University after I got my bachelor's at UT Austin. I, I lived there for three years, and I 
felt the snow and I was like, nope, not for me. So, uh, so we've, was, we've got a little, we've got a little thing in common. You went to yes. Carnegie Mellon University. Oh, great. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. I went to the uh, school of design at the, in the college of fine arts there. Uh, I got my master's in what's called interaction design, which is the study of, you know, interfaces and designing products for uh, great user experiences. Um, at UT, I was an undergrad in film at the RTF department. And uh, yeah, I combined a lot of the computer science stuff that I was learning in both places as kind of minors and then um, with my creative app. I skills. need to clarify, when I say we have something in common, I didn't actually go to Carnegie Mellon, but uh, all, all my money did. <laughs> because my oldest daughter is a graduate of Carnegie Mellon University. So I, I Carnegie, had to throw that in there. Oh, that's great. Carnegie Mellon is a great, great institution because, and I'll tell you why, because they are truly interdisciplinary mm-hmm. in, at Carnegie Mellon. They have excellent fine arts. They have excellent engineering. And it is the place to go when you want to combine the two. Yeah. So uh, that's my plug. However, I will plug UT Austin's RTF as well. Excellent programming, really great at theory, really great at understanding what, why people make films, what films should be made, that kind of thing. Both are great institutions. Absolutely. And, and uh, I always joke that uh, I, my daughter went to Carnegie Mellon is clearly one of the top academic institutions in the world. Yes. And I went to one of the best party schools in America back in the 80s. <laughs> so my, my daughter always jokes that she goes, dad went to a party school and majored in frat. Uh, so, but, uh, but she, she went to Carnegie Mellon. I have another daughter who is currently at Dartmouth. So, uh, my kids have outclassed me academically by like 500%. But so, so back to Austin. So you were born and raised here, but you came back and why is it a great, why is it a great place to be growing a technology company? I think because, because all of it is here, honestly, the, the, you've got, you've got the creative aspect because of the university. So the university of Texas at Austin is a huge, huge asset to the city. Okay. You get all different kinds of people coming here. It's an affordable university, but it's excellent in terms of its curriculum and the professors, faculties. So you get a lot of, a lot of, a lot of talented people, a lot of intelligent people come here. Then they stay here. So you're learning from really great people. You've got a lot of talented people who are going there. They stay here. Then the creative, the creativity stays here, but then you've got the, the politics. You, it's a capital city, right? So you've got not only the student body who's international, you've got a lot of people from around the country coming here just to solve Texas's problems and to work on Texas's problems. So there's that. Then there's the whole music thing, right? Which is just kind of like, to be honest, I don't really know how that got started. I think that was started before I was even born in the, in the 60s, maybe late 50s even. And that is a huge draw to a lot of people. It's a very, very creative community. Um, then you've got the tech, right? When Dell hit the scene in the late eight or mid eighties, late eighties, uh, uh, the tech scene started to blow up. IBM was even here before Dell doing a lot of uh, chip manufacturing. You've got, you've got basically what I would call the perfect storm of creative and, uh, and tech. And not a lot of places can say that. You know, you, you can have Silicon Valley, but honestly, that's a very industrialized society and they're doing great things. Don't get me wrong. But what they lack, in my opinion, is the true creative, you know, free spiritedness that Austin truly has. And, um, you know, it's very hard to replicate that. 
Then on top of that, you've got Texas. This is a very, very business-friendly state. And what that means is like the taxes are very low. Uh, the, the, it, 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 a lot of the laws are in favor for business owners. They want people to be entrepreneurs here. And I think that's a fantastic thing about Texas. Um, I can't say that about California. I've never, never set up shop there, but from my understanding, it's harder to, you know, do business in California. Um, it's harder to do business in a lot of different states. And I think that's something that Texas prides itself on. Um, you know, and I also think, frankly, the water actually is something that Austin has that a lot of other Texas cities do not. The hill country is beautiful. You've got a beautiful lake. People feel like they, you know, it's like having an ocean. It's like having a beach. You can go to the lake. You can go in your boat. You can jet ski. You can go snorkeling. You can, you know, there's a lot of things you can do that you can't do in a lot of cities in Texas. Um, So I think, you know, it's just one of these places that's kind of like an oasis. It really is an oasis in a desert. And so people flock to here. And, um, you know, there are things about, uh, you know, about other cities that I appreciate in Austin, but I think Austin is just, it's got the creative vibe that I need. It's got the, the tech savvy that I need. And, and I don't at the moment, I just don't have any desire to go anywhere else. And now that I've heard that like companies like, um, you know, Elon Musk, uh, Tesla is opening shop, Apple's opening the new billion dollar campus. You've got Samsung asking for $17 billion campus to open up here. I mean, it's, it's just hard to leave. I will say, though, the housing Oracle, market. Oracle just moved their headquarters here. That's right. Oracle moved here. And I, but I, I will say that the only issue I have with Austin, the singular issue I have with Austin is the housing crisis. And it's real. So for those of you who are listening, just consider that before you move. It is a real crisis, at, probably akin to what happened in uh, or what's happening in San Francisco already. It's getting to that point. And it's, it's a big problem. But that's all. That's my only thing about Austin. No, I, I I agree. But all the things, and you did actually one of the best jobs I've ever heard of somebody describing what makes Austin great. And I'd I'd like to sum it up everything you said in one word, and that is Austin has a very unique soul as a city. Yes. Not every yes. city has a soul, and not yeah. every city has one that's as creative and welcoming yeah. as I think yeah. that, that Austin has. So so let's yeah. talk about the Austin Technology Council. Why are you an active member there, and why do you think that? You know, some entrepreneurs aren't joiners. Why should they support this organization? Well, I mean, I think, again, I think it goes back to community, right? Like, you're, 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 you know, no business is an island here. And, you know, I think it takes uh, other businesses to help other businesses. And I think joining that community is an important aspect of being a business owner. I mean, for the first three years, we were not part of the Austin Tech Council because we didn't know if our business was going to actually, you know, work out. And, now that it is there, it's like, and, and our customers are huge enterprises. I want other people in Austin to know what we're doing out there. And they are a great hub for that. You will get known. You will see that other, that, you know, you get traffic, uh, web traffic, even just driving to your site to find out what you're about. Um, they help with things like even recruiting. Like they have a, a jobs area on their website. Um, they, they, they host uh, networking events. I think that's great to meet other people in your uh, scene who can speak your language, who can speak tech. You know, it's, it's hard to, um, you know, when you're, when you're an entrepreneur, it's very hard to find people who understand your plight as an entrepreneur. And I think ATC understands that. They understand that entrepreneurship is a hard thing to do. 
And I think having people come together and sharing the, the, the journey is important. And that is one of the reasons why I joined is because I want, I want to know what other people's journeys are like and that I'm not necessarily alone. And for all you entrepreneurs out there, you know it's hard. You know it's difficult. You're not alone. I would suggest to join only for the reason of just contacting other people, right? And, and you know, even this podcast, they, they, you know, they suggested that we connect, you, you and I, Tom, to, to do this. And I, it's, a great, it's a great platform. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and their board and their members and their staff, they've been great to work with. We've worked together uh, almost a couple of years on, on a, about one episode a month. During COVID, uh, my schedule was weird, so we didn't get them all done. But we're getting back on track. Uh, I've loved nice. partnering with the people there. And uh, I tell everyone who works in technology in Austin, your company really should be supporting ATC. So yeah, last absolutely. couple of questions for you. Sure. So I used to call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the right. coolest thing you're doing in business right now? Uh, I would say the coolest thing we're doing is we launched a marketplace. If you go to dataclay.com, we, want, we launched a marketplace that allows uh, creative video producers, motion graphics designers, post-production professionals to sell their video templates that are prepared for our software to merge data into those templates. So what we are doing is we are reaching out to creative motion graphics designers, all these types of professionals who know uh, the Adobe Creative Suite, and we're saying, build, this, build these templates. We'll put them on our site. Anytime somebody licenses the template, we will give you a cut. So it's kind of like we have built an app store for our own software. And, and, and we want to help these creatives have another revenue of, of income, frankly. So what we're doing is we, we've already partnered with uh, a few uh, right now, and um, we've launched already, I think, seven uh, uh, templates. And they are, anytime somebody buys from our site, they get a cut of that revenue. And I think that's really cool. I think it's really cool to offer, not only have we saved, um, you know, professionals time, but now we're offering them a place where they can exchange their intellectual property, their creative assets. And and then on top of that, we're building a new, I mean, I can really geek out, but we're building a new API that, uh, that will <clears throat> open up the developers to create more uh, browser-based apps, mobile apps, that can incorporate dynamic video content. For example, we have uh, a company called Runtastic. They're a division of uh, Adidas. They make an app that basically tracks your running. And then at the end of the week, you get a summary video, a summary of all your, you know, all the metrics. So they're using our software to generate the video that their end users get, right? That combines the data with the templates that they're creating. So, you know, the developers are going to, with this new product that we're releasing, this new API, that the public API, um, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully see more developers build new apps. And I think really, Tom, the, vis- the vision is really that minority report vision where it's like, you know, you walk into a mall and this video, these video uh, uh, just digital display ads know who you are and, and, and the, the assets that are shown to you, the videos that are shown to you are, are tailored to you. That's already happening in social media, but we see that happening in what's called digital out-of-home media. And, and you know, that's the vision. That's, the, that's where Data Clay wants to go. We want to get to the point where the personalization of content is commonplace, where you turn on Hulu 
and it's a video that looks like it was tailored for Tom or uh, tailored for Ari or tailored for my wife or tailored for my mom. That's the future, I think, of, of uh, video, and that's where we want to be. We want to be at the heart of that. Your answer is the exact reason I love interviewing smart and cool people who are making, <laughs> who are making waves out there because that's certainly what your company's Thank doing. You. You're shaking things up. You're making it easier for people. You are the definition of someone who's making waves at sea level. So Ari, Thank thanks, for, thanks for being here. If somebody wants my to pleasure. contact you, what's the best way to find you? Uh, it's my first name, A-R-I-E, at dataclay.com. Um, you can also just hit up our website, send a support ticket, and uh, we have several genres of what the support ticket's about. You can just send us a support ticket, and I'll, I'll, I, I see those. So, yeah, uh, that sounds uh, – thank you, Tom. Thank you for the time and, and the platform. I appreciate it. Well, thank you to you and thank you to the Austin Technology Council for partnering with me on uh, one episode a month of Making Waves at Sea Level. Looking forward to more episodes in 2021 with them. Uh, and thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every show. If it wasn't for the audience, why would I do this? Uh, please keep coming back every Tuesday and Thursday. There's always new, fresh interviews with people who are just as cool as Ari. And I know you're thinking, no way, he's the coolest you. you've ever had. <laughs> but but they all are. They all are. And so you, keep keep checking us out. Do me that favor that all podcasters ask for. Go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast love. Leave a review. Say a few words about why you like it. But more importantly, tell a friend. When I talk to people who listen to this program and I say, how did you ever find my little podcast? They say, my boss told me, my friend told me, my mom told me. Uh, so it's word of mouth that lets people find the show. We are six and a half years into this show and we're not stopping anytime soon. So keep coming back. In the meantime, go out there, flex your entrepreneurial muscles, make some waves. Make sure that your career ladder is against the correct wall because you don't want to get to the top and find out you're in the wrong place. And while you're out there, while you're out there doing all this, have some fun. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.